welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hi there. I love what you've done with your background. Do you like it? It's all my favourite photos of you. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> but one do you think, for those wondering, we're recording on Zoom, of course, because we are social isolating. And to celebrate our second episode on Zoom, I've decided to make my background, my little green screen, all of my favourite photos of Conrad Sewell, my co-host. Yeah, they all look wonderful. I reckon I look most like... I think this one looks more like you. Yeah, I was just about to say. Anyway, I haven't even told people what the show is about. So may I actually do my job first? Yes, go for it. Coming up on today's show, Mason Disick is the Instagram and TikTok deviant we didn't know we needed right now. Plus, why Tiger King will perhaps be the most memeable moment of 2020. And the New York Times article that convinced us celebrity culture may be crumbling. First, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. I am very excited, Zara, to announce with you that we are doing a little bit of an exciting tweak on our Thursday episodes now. We are. I forgot we were announcing this. I was like, what what are we doing? We don't want to be asking guests to come on the show and meet us in person when we're not even seeing each other at the moment, Zara, to stick to all the government rules, of course. But what we are doing to make sure we can keep getting you guys the content you want every Thursday is we are turning in conversation to in isolation. So we'll be interviewing all the influential people you love over Zoom and then turning those into episodes, Zara. And I'm excited about this because I don't understand, like I don't see how this could be a barrier to us getting A-list even Hollywood celebrities on the podcast. Like if we try hard enough, Meghan Markle and Margot Robbie aren't doing very much at the moment. And if we're ever going to get them on the podcast, it's right bloody now. I tell you what, look who's on the Meghan Markle bandwagon. You think we can get Meghan Markle? I saw this coming. I am the Oracle. Of course I knew this was how we were going to get Meghan Markle on the podcast. I would love Margot Robbie though too. Meghan Markle is in the process of moving house. They've just landed, dare I say, in Los Angeles. I'm pretty Mm. sure they've moved. So she might be a bit tied up with that, but should we shoot for Margot Robbie? I don't know. Well, this is what I want to do. I want us to pick two celebrities and I want us to go all out trying to get them on the show. So like we can't just throw these out and hope that Margot Robbie is going to stumble upon Shameless and get on. We need like a strategy. We need listeners to get behind us. We need like the people to lift us up and help us get the ball rolling. I want Margot Robbie. I think she's she should be one of the two celebrities we aim for. I think it's wiser to go for someone like Jamila Jamil because she's all over social media. She's just launched a podcast and surely she would want to come on. <laughs> I love the last one. Like, of course, why wouldn't they want to come on? I think Jamila Jamil. Yeah, we could pitch ourselves to Jamila Jamil. I would love her on, but I am really excited for this series, Mish, I think, because all I want to do right now when I'm listening to content or listening to podcasts or reading articles, like I said earlier last month, I want to hear from smart people and I I kind of want to hear how they're making sense of this period and what they're thinking about and how their perspective is changing because I'm starting to think a lot of those things myself. So I want to have those conversations with people and I am so excited that we can. So that is starting this Thursday. I'm stoked. The first episode is a banger. We cannot wait for you guys to listen. If you have any ideas of what we can do to get these celebrities on, please DM us. Please come in the Facebook group. We will hear your wackiest, wildest ideas and we will make them a reality because I've got sweet nothing to do with my days at the moment. (laughs) Given you just said sweet nothing, when normally you would say sweet F all. Sweet F all. (laughs) That is another reminder that we did make a tiny promise this week to cut back on the unnecessary swearing because we understand that there are a lot of parents sitting at home that can't escape their children right now and can't listen unless little ears are in earshot. So Michelle and I are already exhausted and we're about three minutes in (laughs) because we're stopping ourselves. But know that this episode, that's why Michelle will say 
sweet nothing. That's such a that's such a quaint way of putting it. I was trying. I was like racking my brain, being like, you can't say sweet Ethel. What else can you say? So you have our promise. No swearing. If we do swear, producer Annabelle will beep out all the swear words. We hope. But on to my recommendations for the week, Zara. I have two, but my first is so incredibly basic in that everyone needs to download TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> in that everyone needs to download. <laughs> Annabelle, don't you don't you cut that out? What is Not it? TikTok. Oh no, I sound like such a boomer. Everyone you sound like an old person. My life. Everyone I needs just to swore download. As well. you just swore. It's literally just like saying everybody needs to download the Facebooks. Oh, everyone needs to download TikTok, not TikTok, because it is the one thing that has given me respite this week in that I felt a little bit gray on Friday in particular, and I spent so many hours scrolling through TikTok. And historically, I probably would have been like, that's a waste of time. Not yesterday. I left feeling so happy and so cheerful. And some of the videos on there are not only uplifting, some are just downright ridiculous and so friggin' funny. So I highly recommend you download TikTok and give it a go. There is stuff on there for 20-somethings and 30-somethings. I feel like over the last few months, there has been a real rise of more mature content because when I tried it out late last year, and I know this for you, Zara, I found so many really cringeworthy, very teenage-esque videos and felt like it wasn't a place for me. It is a place for you now if you're in your 20s, I can guarantee it. My second recommendation, I'm not sure if you've done this or if you've seen it around, there is a TV character's personality test that is going wild on the internet. So many different publications are writing about this and it was trending on Twitter. I haven't seen it. Right. So it's a legit personality test. It's not like a BuzzFeed, what kind of cheesy you test. It is, I don't know, I was going to say psychological, but psychologists definitely came up with it. It's scientific. It has like a whole graph and it, I don't know, it just feels sciencey. I feel like I'm not explaining this in the best way <laughs> whatsoever. Isn't it a good in the time of a pandemic to just say that something feels sciencey and therefore it must be legit? You know what it was? It was the website was very serious. Like it was very bland, very pared back. It wasn't a BuzzFeed test at all. No photos, just like lists and graphs and stuff. So I was like, this is legit. I will have you know, Zara McDonald, the TV character that I most like is Joan Holloway from Mad Men. Did you watch Mad Men? Ooh, I was a Mad Men fan. That completely, does that surprise you? I don't strike myself as Joan Holloway. There are a few elements. Joan's pretty like gung-ho and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. The other one, did you watch The West Wing? I can't remember this. Did you watch The West Wing? You should know The West Wing is my favourite all-time television show. All right. So I've never watched it. So I thought that you might be able to tell me if this is accurate or not. My second character that I was most like is Joey Lucas. Interesting. I wouldn't have picked that either. You're a bit louder than old mate Joey Lucas. She's super likable, really clever. Um, Definitely not me then. (laughs) (laughs) She's really clever. She's got a good character in that show. Okay. Maybe I have to say though, Joey Lucas and Joan Holloway don't seem like they're cut from the same cloth. Right. And I was 87% matched for Joan Holloway and 86 for Joey Lucas. So I'm a little bit baffled. That said, I'm still going to recommend it to all the people because I love doing personality tests. I just think they're so interesting. I'm going to do that when we get off mic. Please do. Tell me about your week. Tell me what you want to recommend. Tell me all the things. My week was good. I spent a lot of time just like randomly walking around my house, walking around my house, walking around my apartment, (laughs) listening to podcasts and reading stuff. So I I felt like I had a more calm week, settling into the routine of what things look like right now, which feels a little nicer. But things just generally feel a little less shocking at the moment, which is kind Mm. of a nice thing to get used to. One of my favorite things I read this week was an article from The Guardian. It wasn't uplifting. I'm not even going to pretend 
that it was. The headline was Terminal Cancer Means I Won't See the Other Side of Lockdown. And it was written by Elliot Dallin. He is in his late 20s and he's staring down the barrel of his last few months and doesn't think that he'll see the other side of lockdown. And it is one of the biggest whacks of perspective I have read in such a long time. And he writes so beautifully and so searingly about you know, how he thought his last few months of life would be lived and what they are now. Mm. And I got a few messages on Instagram after I posted it for people who know people who are going through the same thing or who are sick or whoever it might be, who are looking at a period that looks very different to the rest of us because some of them can't see the light at the end of the tunnel in the way that we keep talking about. And we keep saying there will be light at the end of the tunnel, there will be light at the end of the tunnel, and we've just got to wait this out. But for some people, there is no light. I couldn't stop thinking about this article all day. So I'll put it on the Chainless Instagram stories on Monday as well, Mish. Yeah, please. I really want to read it. Yeah, I'll send you the link as well. The other things I listened to is I've suddenly started binging a whole lot of Steph Godin because I feel like he's one of the smartest people on the whole planet. And like, stop. what better way? Stop right there. I told you to listen I've, to Seth Godin. Oh, no. I've, I've listened to a Kimbo Heaps. <gasps> I've listened to told me he was boring. To, no, no, no. Maybe just the one episode you've said. I've listened <sighs> to a Kimbo lot, but I haven't listened to a lot of interviews. Like, you know, I've got this obsession with like searching someone's name just in the app and just going back through the archives of them being interviewed. Because sometimes I prefer people being interviewed than them hosting their own thing. It is great and, to listen to him being interviewed for sure. Yeah. There was a really great interview with him on the Tim Ferriss show that I recommended in our newsletter, but it was from 2016. And I just find podcasting such a weird time warp in that way, like listening to people talk in such a different time, even though it was only four years ago. And that was a really good one. It was like two hours. And I feel like I have so much extra time at the moment that I see a (laughs) podcast episode that goes for two hours and I'm like celebrating. So that was really good because I thought that they were just really interesting and thought provoking. And I took a lot from it. And I feel like I'm in search of so much like self-help at the moment. It's ridiculous. I love that. We are such cliches, I swear to God. Now on to our very (laughs) first segment. Speaking of cliches, we are two women in their 20s who tend to read a lot about the Kardashian family, which is a sad indictment on our world. And yet it happens to be true. This week, Zara, a Kardashian member that we probably didn't expect to cut through the news cycle, cut through. Oh my God. Mason Disick is my hero. So for those who might've missed this story, it actually started a couple of weeks ago. And what happened was Mason Disick is the son, the 10-year-old son of Scott Disick and Kourtney Kardashian. And he started an Instagram account and he went live on Instagram, clearly without the permission of anyone in his household or really anyone ever, and just started, I bloody hate this saying, but I'm going to say started spilling all this tea. Yes. (laughs) Telling the world that Travis and Kylie weren't back together when I think what the Kardashians were doing, were trying to keep it as a kind of are they, aren't they, so that they could release it in one of the seasons of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Is that the sense that you got to, Mish? I mean, I don't know if it was so much keeping it for Keeping Up with the Kardashians because Kylie Jenner doesn't really play as much of a role on that show as the older sisters do. So like Kim and Chloe in particular kind of drive the narratives on that show from what I've seen. And I've watched plenty of seasons, unfortunately. The younger sisters, the half sisters, like Kylie and Kendall, they don't really drive the story forward. Like they're there for some of the scenes, but they're kind of just going along with the flow. So I'm not sure if this would have ruined keeping up with the Kardashians plot lines because Kylie doesn't really reveal anything about her life on there anyway. I do think it's just not in her ideal set of circumstances that her very, very young nephew is hopping online and spilling all this truth about her personal life that she doesn't want out there. And I, just to set the scene for everyone, Mason Disick is 10 years old, right? Like he is such a little boy and you realise that. See? 
He's teeny tiny, right? So when he sat down in his mega mansion with a beanie on his head to kind of like just take over the celebrity news cycle from his bedroom, I was so excited. And what adds even more drama and more like delight to this ridiculous news story is that Kourtney Kardashian, his mum, had to like live stream and say that she had deleted his Instagram account because he didn't meet the age guidelines then. So Mason's response to his mum deleting his Instagram account was to create another TikTok account, which he'd already had deleted before. He created another one, went live on that, and then started spilling even more drama and talking about how if his mum hadn't deleted his Instagram channel, he would have hit, what was it? I've got a quote here. I would have been at 2.7 mil by now. I want to insert that quote right here because it's one of the best things I've heard all week. What happened to your TikTok? It got deleted because I was too young because I went viral. I would have had 2.7 mil by now if I kept it up. So that is why it's back in the news cycle because Mason Disick did start a TikTok account. (laughs) It is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Like I've never seen a 10-year-old with this much attitude in my life. And a lot of parents of 10-year-olds who are listening to this might think I am being ridiculous because maybe I don't know anything about 10-year-olds. But he seems like 15. He has so much attitude. It's unbelievable. My other favorite parts about this is he called Jeffree Star, (laughs) 34-year-old beauty YouTuber extraordinaire, (laughs) spoiled AF, this 10-year-old taking aim at this 34-year-old YouTuber. So Jeffree Star responded in a tweet that had to be deleted saying, I had $500 in my bank account six years ago. Maybe he's confused with his own privilege versus mine being self-made. Hopefully his father can educate him soon. He's a 10-year-old boy. I can't get over it. It also, on a more serious note, like I know this is such a silly, ridiculous story, but on a more serious note, it does kind of make me think or semi-despair about the lives of these kids who have been brought into this TV show so young. Like we watched Mason Disick, well, when I say we, I mean me, watched Mason Disick be born. Like his life has been documented from the time he was delivered. Like the video of Kourtney Kardashian pulling him out of her and onto her belly is one of the most viral keeping up with Kardashian's videos. And yet this boy has grown up in the public spotlight. We've now seen him firsthand on social media act like he does have an attitude and act like he is it in a bit and he was going to get 2.7 million followers. And while that's fine and while I'm absolutely going to put my hand up and say, yeah, he's a 10-year-old boy, he's allowed to behave however he wants, what kind of children or what kind of people are made in that environment? Well, I think we can tell that when it comes to Kylie Jenner and we've spoken about this on the podcast before. Kylie Jenner was 100% made, not born because she grew up in that environment. And I mean, look at what's going on with her life and her brand now. I think I 100% agree with you. Like there is one element of this that I was just piecing myself being like, this is the funniest story of the week. But the other part of me, a much smaller part of me, but still an important one that thought, if this is Mason Disick at 10 with this kind of bravado and confidence. What does Mason Disick look like at 15? Like what happens in the next five years when he seems so, I guess, sophisticated and so much older than his years now? Someone asked him on his TikTok live if he was going to Coachella and he said he can't even go because Corona. (laughs) But also you're 10. (laughs) I know. You've got many years of Coachella ahead of you. Oh my God. It's just so absurd. I hope that he keeps building his TikTok. I hope he keeps building his social profiles though. I did hear Courtney say publicly that she originally tried to put his Instagram on private, but he just put it on public straight away. So then she had to delete it. Well, it's quite scary, right? Like all personality factors aside, what growing up in an environment like that would do to you. What does having public criticism and public comment
commentary on your life when you're 10 do to a person? Like my main concern is what it would be like to open himself up to that raft of criticism and feedback so young. I mean, it's difficult to deal with when you're an adult and you can reason with things and you can kind of work through things rationally. How the hell do you do that when you're a child? You've called the Shameless Hotline. Please leave a message at the beep. Hey Shameless, my name is Maddie King. I live in Sydney and my little bit of positivity amongst all of this madness is that last week I had my last chemotherapy infusion after what's probably been the hardest five months of my life. So even though that makes me immunocompromised and it's extra important for me to stay at home and be isolated from people right now, I just wanted to remind people who might be feeling um, down that they're stuck at home to flip that and to think I'm not stuck at home I'm safe at home and to be grateful to have a body that is healthy and able to carry you through life because it really, really sucks when that gets taken away from you. I hope everyone is being safe, being hygienic, and thank you guys for being such a positive light in these times. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara Ellis McDonald, what do you have for me today? Hello, Michelle, Elizabeth, fine-footed, high arch, Michael Bublé, Conrad Sewell, like Andrews. None of that made sense. I'm not Conrad Sewell, like that's you. Oh, who cares? Flip the narrative. (laughs) (laughs) Story number one. Lady Gaga went on Fallon to make a major announcement, but it didn't quite go as planned. That is from Billboard. When Billboard says Fallon, what do they mean? Do they mean Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, (laughs) Jimmy Fallon. Is Is that not clear? Well, I don't know if it's clear when you hear it. It's probably clear when you see it written down. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe right. You know what? (laughs) Too much time of semantics of Ginny versus Fallon. Um, You haven't seen this story at all, though? Not at all. What the hell happened? Weird story. So Jimmy Fallon is filming from home. I don't know if you've seen any screen grabs of him filming, but it just looks ridiculous. Anyway, what he's doing for celebrity interviews is he's doing the most of them over FaceTime. And he got Lady Gaga on and was like, hey, Gaga, like, what's your big announcement? You've been teasing this big announcement. And she goes, sorry, sorry, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Sorry, am I on TV? Oh, I've sorry, Jimmy, I really have to go. I don't mean to do this to you. And everyone's like, if this is like a weird publicity stunt, it's it's kind of weird. It, it seems almost unbelievable to me that there's not like heaps of sound checks and she wouldn't have called into producers far earlier than when she went on air. So she was claiming that she didn't know she was going to be on television. Yeah, it was just like weird acting, I think. But I don't know. I don't what? want to be cynical about it because I was reading on Lainey Gossip and Lainey Gossip was like, I don't want to be cynical about it. You never know. But also it's a really weird and awkward clip to watch. He's just got her his phone up next to his face with her on it. So it's not even like a split screen. It's literally him with the phone up and what? her being like, oh, I can't really hear you and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but that said, now we're all talking about Lady Gaga and her supposed big announcement. So maybe this was all in the, you know, the blueprint of it all. Well, she's just released a new single. So I wonder if she's announced that she's got a new album coming out. That would be the logical announcement to make if a new single has just come out. Yeah, that would be. I mean, watch this space. I think it's probably coming out today anyway, apparently. The announcement was meant to come out now, probably on Monday. So we will all know, hopefully, by the time people are listening. Also, if anyone heard that, I just slapped, I accidentally just snapped my bra back against myself. Yeah, things you don't realise make noise when you're sitting at home. For example, the guy downstairs in my apartment building, he's doing a boxing class, but it sounds like he's having sex. Oh. Anyway, oh my God, sorry to the little ears. <gasps> now, story number two. S-E-X. Hotel- <laughs> story number two. Sydney Hotel hits back at Lara Worthington's quarantine rant. That is from Yahoo Lifestyle. What? Okay. 
I'm in so many minds about this. If you missed this story, Lara Worthington, knee bingle, nay, knee, I think we've had this conversation before, formerly bingle, went on a Twitter rant because her mother was one of the people who was in forced quarantine, that they had to stay in a hotel, which was paid for by the government, and they were not allowed to leave for two weeks. That meant all meals, all forms of exercise, everything had to be contained in their room. They weren't allowed to go and do anything. Now, the government guaranteed that all these hotels would be quite fancy and quite upmarket so that people, yes, had to stay in their rooms, but those rooms would be nice. Lara Worthington went on a rant saying her mother's five-star hotel was not five-star enough and posted like a dimly lit photo of a chair being like, does this look like five-star to you? Well, this is what's interesting because the photos that she posted didn't look amazing, but a lot of people compared the photos of the hotel because people could kind of recognize what hotel it was and compared it to the photos that she posted and thought that there was kind of, you know, there are ways to make a room look worse if you wanted to, (laughs) which would be, I don't know, draw the blinds, make it look darker, take some pillows off the, the chair or whatever it might be. That said, I am in a couple of minds about this. My overriding thought is it sucks for a lot of people to be stuck in these rooms, but I think a lot of us are doing everything at the moment for the greater good and for the protection of community and, and you know, the functioning of our society. And that doesn't mean things are going to be easy. It means a lot of the time it's going to be very uncomfortable and a lot of us just have to get on with that. That said, I don't think it's completely helpful for people on Twitter to denigrate those who are stuck in hotel rooms, calling them spoiled. Because I do think it would be difficult. I do think it would be hard not seeing fresh air or anything else outside the four walls for two weeks. Like that's not an easy thing to do, but I do think the loud complaining is a little tiring when there is so much going on in the world. Well, I think the message is fine. The delivery was not fine. Like, yes, it's sad that your mum is stuck, holed up in this hotel, that she's alone, that she doesn't have any of her things. That is not an ideal situation. But it's also a first world problem in that so many people have been affected by the virus that shall not be named in far worse ways than Lara Worthington's mother. So I think ultimately these grievances should have stayed offline. The message just did not translate well at all. And once it was flattened onto social media, it came across as quite tone deaf. And I do think Lara Worthington could have definitely communicated her point better than she did. Yeah, I agree with that. Story number three, it's no longer practical to continue with production. Channel 10 suspends filming of The Bachelor Australia amid COVID-19 outbreak. That is from the Daily Mail. Who boy, what is going to happen to our TV shows? I know. I mean, again, first world problem, but I think an aspect of the virus that shall not be named is that we're going to have a big black hole of entertainment. Like we're not going to have many new TV shows coming out. We're not going to have many new movies coming out. Like for example, I was talking to my dad the other day when we went for a walk together and I said, it'll be really interesting for all the Hollywood award shows in 2022 when they're supposed to be reviewing the stuff that came out in 2021, because I don't think there'll be much. If things are being filmed now, they're not going to be coming out next year. And then there's going to be a big hole of us watching and doing nothing. Now, when it comes to The Bachelor, I think this does damning things for The Bachelor Australia franchise, particularly given the news that came out about Lockie while they were filming the first few weeks, Zara. Yeah, so this is what I can't stop thinking about this week. If no longer continuing with production, I would imagine that producers and cast alike would assume that when this kind of blows over, they go back, they go into the mansion and they kind of pick things up where they left off. Because what's the point in picking a bachelor, picking cast and all of the time and energy that goes into that if they're not just going to continue the show? But what I find interesting is how does the bachelor survive 
when the one thing it relies on and the one thing it relies on is isolation is taken away. And I think it's so easy in the conversation we have a lot about the show to fall in love with someone or be really invested in someone when there's nothing else going on in your life because all you have to think about is them. And when it comes to The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, that's what seems to happen time and time again. With this one and with Lockie, that may have well been happening and that may have well been on the way to matching great couples and, you know, creating a great love story, but splitting production in half and sending people on their way back home potentially, or wherever they may be, at least with access to phones and the news means they could Google what's been going on with Lockie. And there was a bit of controversy about him before going on. And I wonder with time, perspective and space, if a lot of these kind of burgeoning love stories or connections are going to fall to the ground. I totally agree. And also when you're living in the bachelor mansion, your idea and your perception of the bachelor or bachelor is purely crafted by the producers, the production company. Like they are the puppeteers that are pulling the bachelor whatever way they want to make him look a certain way. You don't have any access to friends and family to give you outside information or to even give you a bit of perspective on this guy and whether he's right for you. So the fact that they can all now go and do that and see that he's not the most eligible man in Australia, not by my standards anyway, by the way he allegedly treated Brooke, I just doubt that this season could be as successful as the ones that came before it. Yeah, it depends completely, I think, for me on how long they've actually been filming for. Because I think if you get to know them well enough to a point, you can kind of forgive the stuff that comes after. But if people are kind of, it's only been a couple of weeks and they're already toing and froing, and then they read what's been going on and are given time and space and perspective, then it might be a very hard one. So we'll have to see when they pick back up production niche. Also, one final point, what's stopping Lockie from texting girls in the house? Like what's stopping them from communicating with each other while we're all in isolation. And that's just going to muddy the waters even more. I completely agree. It's so strange. I'm so excited to see how this all plays out. Story number four, a house party app facing wave of deletions says it will pay $1 million for proof of hacking smear. What is going on? That is from the ABC, by the way. Well, that's from the ABC. But last week, Zara McDonald, someone recommended the house party app to all the listeners. (laughs) Yeah, I still back that. They've put up a bounty a million bucks they are calling it a one million dollar bounty like i feel like we're almost in medieval times or like we're pirates or something and a house party app is on the hunt for whoever's trying to destroy their very popular app i will be curious to see what comes out about this plenty of people have reported that they had their apps like other apps on their phone like instagram and facebook hacked and they had money taken out of their accounts and a whole host of really interesting issues that reportedly came about after they downloaded the house party app. So it's very interesting. And some of the comments in our Facebook group about this are riveting. I'm very glad I don't have it on my phone. Have you had any instances of, I don't know, sus things happening on your phone now that you've got it on there? No, not at all. Like, not at all. I mean, I'm not discounting people saying that they might have, but I do think it's so interesting that they are that confident that the hacking stuff is a smear. Perhaps what they hint by a competitor that they will offer anyone who can prove it a million dollars. So I don't know. I think so many people are still using that app. I have no doubt that they would have been faced with a wave of deletions. I mean, just anecdotally and socially, it hasn't seemed to slow down the amount of people that I know that seem to be downloading it. So maybe the tide is turning again. And story number five, 
five is Michelle's made up a headline. Young woman goes viral. Oh, that is such a dumb use of the word viral for asking Shameless Podcast Community <laughs> Facebook group to tell me your unpopular opinions. It had 2,800 comments and the most popular unpopular opinions were pretty interesting. Yeah, I did write a list. I mean, it was hard to come up with a fifth headline this week. I was tossing up between this and Caroline Calloway, but I feel like we've given Caroline Calloway so much airtime on this podcast. If you don't recognize that name, you'll have to go back to episodes from like mid last year. I couldn't stomach doing another Caroline Calloway headline in the quick and dirty. So I made up our own. Now I want to run through the most popular unpopular opinions on this thread, because as you said, almost 3000 comments, it went wild. It went viral in our group. And I want to get your thoughts on what some of the listeners think. The first one, Birkenstocks make your feet look like knuckles. (laughs) False fake news. I love Birks. Do you? I've never seen you wear Birks. I wore them all summer. Mm, I'm trying to think back. I personally don't like Birkenstocks on my feet because my feet are so bony and it really just, it makes that more pronounced. I do think, I'm so sorry to thin-footed people, they're not really conducive to a thin foot. Like I don't (laughs) want to see heaps of thin feet in Birks in summer, I do have to admit. Another one that I really liked, Mish, was uncooked fresh tomato is the absolute worst. I have to kind of agree. I don't think it's the absolute worst, but I just think it's so much shitter than cooked tomato. The inside of a raw tomato is so unsettling. Like that texture, there's no consistency. You never know what you're going to get. It's almost like jelly. I just can't like it's it's gross it makes me just want to gag every time I think of a fresh tomato no I agree with that I do find I think unsettling is the right word well done the middle of an uncooked tomato is unsettling I'll still eat it but I'm unsettled (laughs) make it a meme my next favorite one is night showers make much more sense than morning showers do both if you have to but don't be getting in your clean bed with the gross day all over you big agree Ding, 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 ding. I couldn't be a bigger proponent for night showers. I don't understand people that go to bed without having a shower. Yeah, I just like, it makes me sleep better as well. I feel like a newborn baby that if I haven't had a bath before bed, I'm not going to sleep very well. I need to be like all cozy and clean and like lie down on my pillow and be like, "Mm, I'm so like ready for sleep now. Yeah, it's that. It's like, I am a newborn baby. I am fresh. I am clean and I am sleeping this day off. Another one I found interesting, Stan, is better than Netflix. Um, for me, it's much of a muchness. No, nah, big I disagree. Don't have, don't have strong opinions. Like, I Netflix think originals are way better than Stan originals. Yeah, Netflix, I agree with that. Netflix originals are way better. I just don't agree with this at all. I think if anyone lined up how many shows they regularly watch on Netflix compared to what they regularly watch on Stan, 90% would watch more Netflix than Stan. I love Stan, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want to split children, but if I had to name a favorite, it would be Netflix. Yeah, I have to agree. And the last one, Mish, forget Taylor Swift. There has never been a better album since Hilary Duff's Metamorphosis. Actually, not a bad call. That is just the best call ever. Hilary Duff's Metamorphosis. I can see the cover, like the cover art for that album in my mind right now. I played those songs on repeat for so long. What a banger. I have these like very vivid memories of playing this album (laughs) before I used to play spring season netball on a Saturday and I was in like my mint green skirt and I would like bop myself up to Hillary Duff's like so yesterday and then I'd come out firing on that court. All I can hear in my mind right now is like, let's go back, back to the beginning. She was, oh God, (laughs) that is, maybe we should, I need to play some now. Hey, that's all I've got for you though. Thank you so much. 
coming up after the break, we need to talk about the top trending series on Netflix right now. And then, is celebrity culture burning? But first, a word from today's sponsor. If you haven't heard the names Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic this week, then you mustn't be on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. The two standout stars from Netflix's new documentary series on big cats and their lives in privatised American captivity has been so popular it has topped the Netflix most watched charts in Australia, the US, Britain and Canada. But Zara, people aren't so sure if reality stars who may well be animal abusers should be glorified in the way they have been. Before we get to any of that, what was your first impression of Tiger King. Okay, let me start with my first and my final impression of Tiger King. Okay. Ooh. My first impression of Tiger King was that it was the weirdest thing I have ever watched in my entire life. My last impression of Tiger King <laughs> was one of annoyance at you. Because what? dear Michelle, and Why? Ollie is furious. <gasps> he is so annoyed at you. On the podcast last week, you told us there were eight episodes. So during the seventh episode, we're like, shit, we're not going to finish this whole thing. Let's stop it with 10 minutes to go and finish dinner and then come back and watch the rest. And then the final episode. <laughs> and then what ended up happening is that we split the final episode in two and watched the last 10 minutes so antly climactically. And we were trying to like find the last episode <laughs> being like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And it wasn't there because it didn't exist. I'm sorry. How many series only have seven episodes? It's such a weird number to finish on. You do six or you do eight. Oh, he was like in shock. He was like, she said eight. I will play the podcast out loud. I will play it back to you. She said eight. I bet you I said like eight. And like eight could mean plus or minus one either side. Could have been seven, could have been nine. You can't come onto our podcast and say the fact that you said very confidently (laughs) could be give or take. Because now everything we ever say on this podcast, people be like, you know, give or take a bit of opinion here or give yeah. or take Plus a little or bit. minus one rule with any yeah. argument I ever have. <laughs> Actually, that's going to keep us in a safe zone. Let's put this on the record now. Plus or minus one for every <laughs> opinion we ever had so we never get in trouble ever again. Anyway, Amazing. back to Tiger King. I do think it had to be especially mad to pierce the public consciousness in the way that it did. Like what is weirder than the whole world shutting down collectively? Maybe this television show. Yeah, I actually do wonder, and I want to put this to you, I wonder if Tiger King would have been popular in any climate, but I wonder if it's been so popular and so pervasive and so memeified because it's been released in March 2020. And March 2020 has been, sorry, we'll use the word shit here, batshit crazy. Like so much stuff has happened this month. Our entire lives have been flipped upside down. And what we want is to watch Tiger King on Netflix, which is the most far-fetched, unusual documentary I've ever seen in my life. Like I wonder if the climate of us feeling like we just want any possible distraction from what's going on with the virus that should not be named has led us to all congregate and watch this show together. Like, I do wonder, do you think it would have been this popular in January as it has been right now? No, I think it would have been popular, but I don't think not to the level that it is right now. And uh, the first example that I've got to give you about that is that I wouldn't have watched it, I don't think, if it wasn't in March 2020 and I literally had nothing better to do. The FOMO effect is really strong here. Like, what does FOMO mean in an era where none of us have anything else to do? We can't really unite about sport right now. We can't really unite about, you know, concerts that might be happening or world events beyond a frigging pandemic. Like, the FOMO effect 
concept of wanting to jump on the bandwagon of something and be included in a story that everyone is talking about is really, really overwhelming right now. And I think is a huge reason why the show has been as successful as it has. I agree with that. I think I touched on the walk that I had with my dad this week earlier, but when we were on that walk, he made another really interesting point about Tiger King. He was saying when he was a child, there was no cable television, no Netflix or like streaming services whatsoever, obviously. There were probably four key channels with a few key shows at any one moment. And he said there was often one show that unified everyone. Everyone watched the same show. Everyone bonded over the same show. And he kind of floated the idea that in this time where we're all feeling quite disconnected physically from each other, if we've all moved to this one program because it gives us this unifying force, like it makes that feeling of a oneness come back to us when we can't gather. We can't gather physically, but we can socially and we can all jump on this ridiculous documentary series about big cats. That is a really good point. And uh, when we're talking about it being a documentary series about big cats, I find it hard to reconcile with because I think one of my biggest gripes with the series is that it felt like it skimmed over and buried some really important issues. And I wonder if it would have been such, dare I say, a smash hit if it didn't, that the reason it was so successful is because it focused on the oddity of what was going on, the oddity of the characters and the bizarre nature of them all being big cat fanatics, when in reality, a lot of these people were bad people. I mean, for one, Doc Antle had a really bizarre sex cult where he kind of employed and preyed upon really young female employees. Another guy, Jeff Lowe, lured young women into his hotel room in in Las Vegas with tiger cubs smuggled in suitcases and has also remarked, a little pussy gets you a lot of pussy. Like, it felt like some of these issues, including murder, were total the boys to a greater storyline of just crazy people obsessed with crazy big cats. See, it's so interesting to me that you thought those were the ones that glossed over. Because as you say, yeah, I agree with you. Those were glossed over. The the main issue here that was glossed over was the abuse of animals. Like the fact that Joe Exotic has been awarded this legend status where people want to advocate for him and are his big fans. Like people don't just laugh at him. Laughing at him is one thing. Being a legitimate fan of his is another thing. Like Cardi B tweeted this week that she wants to start a GoFundMe to get Joe Exotic out of prison. The fact we're doing doing this to people who have been accused of depraved things against animals is so interesting to me because if you had asked me last year what are people more offended by rapists or people who hurt animals I would have said people who hurt animals like we are all obsessed with dogs we cannot imagine anyone inflicting any kind of abuse onto the very vulnerable very innocent animals that we love and yet we're seeing a whole group of people do it on a Netflix docuseries and we're like let's get him out of prison no I totally agree with you I think that's the other really big issue that was completely buried here. And I think Alyssa Wilkinson wrote a really good story for Vox. I'm not sure if you managed to read it this week, Mish. And she said, the show's distractedness is both its charm and its biggest filmmaking issue. In my review, I criticise both the aimless storytelling and the way it punts on the big questions it raises. Why are men like Joe and Doc Antle so fascinated by big cats? What about the ways they exploit the people who work for them? And what is at stake in the animal rights fight? If you want answers to questions like these, Tiger King will not help you. What they did at the end of the series, and this is not a spoiler to anyone who's watching it now, is that they just put a slide up about how many tigers are in captivity in America in comparison to how many tigers exist in the wild and a couple of points about animal rights and animal welfare. And it felt like a very tacked on, deliberate point to be like, oh, just in case you were wondering, yes, of course, this was all about the tigers the entire time. When in reality, it wasn't dressed through the entire series basically until that last slide. I am 
curious. I wonder if you went to the documentary makers and asked them what was the point of this show. I wonder if they would have said, yeah, it's just for entertainment, to show that some people live in a really bizarre, unusual way that none of us really understand. I do think they have something to answer for in that they did not condemn some of the men in particular in this series enough. Like the fact that Jeff Lowe, who has been accused of, again, some very sketchy, very dodgy, very inconchable things, has now been making money from doing personalized fan messages online. Like these people are now profiting off the documentary series that made them famous. And as much as when I watched Tiger King, I was telling myself like, this is great. Like people are going to watch this and they're going to think that going to privatized zoos is wrong. They're going to think that they shouldn't be taking photos with baby cubs. They're going to not be going and petting animals that should be in the wild. This would be good for the conservation movement. I honestly thought that and I was so naive because after thinking that, I then went and looked up and found that Jeff Lowe's private zoo is doing better now than it ever has. They had to close because of the uh, virus that shall not be named, like every non-essential business has basically worldwide. But he wrote on Facebook before they closed that the crowds have been so huge since the netflix show we have had difficulty in controlling that much traffic at one time this has not made people stop to go pet cubs or go give these zoos their money it has made them do it more yeah exactly and there was this brilliant brilliant line in a story for wired by a writer called kate nibs and she put all of this down to the fact that all of the characters have been kind of like glorified and celebrated in a weird misguided kind of messed up way is that she said it the show plays up their oddness rather than their depravity and I think that absolutely nailed it. it it zeroed in on how kind of odd and quirky they all were while kind of only skimming over the depravity of almost all of the characters Alyssa Wilkinson had another really good comment in Vox Mish just talking about what you were touching on before and I kind of do think that maybe I don't know whether they wanted to tell a story about animal welfare or if they wanted to tell a story about entertainment but she wrote it feels as if the story spun out of his control and an attempt to drive home a point about the plight of exotic cats in the final episode winds up being tacked on and unimportant next to everything else that's happened over the past seven hours I don't think many people leave that series thinking oh my god I can't believe all these tigers are kept in these cages in America and that there is such a huge proportion of tigers that live in captivity rather than the wild, I think you leave that show thinking, wow, those characters are weird and I've never, never come into contact with anyone like Joe Exotic in my life. Yeah, totally. And I'm thinking now, like, it's hard because I have only found out that this has only spurred on the industry recently. Like, I've I've shared memes on the Shameless Podcast Instagram account because I do find it so funny and so odd. So if you're listening to this and going, but I just want to have a laugh, like, don't get me wrong. I think this show is so friggin' funny. Like, so many aspects of it. I rolled my eyes or, like, my jaw hit the floor or I could not believe what I was watching. Like, the sheer absurdity of some of the things in this documentary series need to be seen to be believed and now I'm wondering like was it wrong for me to share memes about these people like it wasn't like I was holding up Joe Exotic as the perfect man or saying that he should be let go from prison because I don't believe that but is it wrong to contribute to the memification of them I don't know I think I don't begrudge anyone for trying to find sources of light in this time of darkness and I think we just need to be careful I think there's a difference between sharing things online and connecting in memes and connecting in Facebook threads or on Twitter I think there's a distinct difference between doing that as a means of connection and then opening your wallets and contributing to the industry that is definitely morally corrupt. Yeah, and opening your wallets to get a GoFundMe to get the man out of prison who was doing it all. I so agree with you, and perhaps I should have said this earlier. I was thinking in the shower, like, you know, 
a lot of great thoughts happen in the shower just before we recorded this episode. And it's such an interesting experience watching a television show kind of like this one, because what I tend to do, and I imagine this is a very common experience, is that you shut yourself off from reading any commentary or anything like that. You just sit in front of the eight episodes and kind of you're a puppet to the director's puppeteering. Like they can tell you whatever story they want to tell you. And you kind of blindly follow that narrative until you get out of the show, you read up on all this stuff and you think, okay, my perspective is a little bit different now. And as I was in the shower thinking, I was like, there is so much depth to this, so much depth about what's wrong with the series, so many problems with the characters, so many problems with our response to it. But is it just exhausting to bring those up at a time when we're all exhausted and drained anyway? And I guess what I came around to thinking was that it's still important, even in times like this, to analyse why something goes as gangbusters as it does and what it really does say about all of us and what it says about what we idolise and what we are interested in and what we care about. One thing I am hopeful as well in that, yes, people are going to these private zoos and that they might open their wallets now and perhaps celebrities have been created out of quite terrible people. However, there's also more educated people now like you and I. Like I would have had no idea that this was so popular in the US and that this was allowed to happen. I would have never researched Peter about why it's such a problem that animals are kept in captivity and how once they're in captivity, they can't be let go into the wild. Like it doesn't work to just have animals kept in cages and then release them into their natural habitat. So without watching something like this, I wouldn't have gone and educated myself and cared anywhere near enough about this when it is such a prominent issue. That said, we're going to have some people who are very educated and care very much about this now and other people who just want to go pet a baby tiger because they never knew that was possible. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And it's like, well, is the net outcome positive or negative? I'm yet to really decide. One final thing I wanted to discuss with you, Mish, about Tiger King is the really pervasive misogyny that kind of suffocates almost the entire show that no one is really talking about. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I find it very interesting that people hate Carol Baskin so viscerally when they probably don't reserve that amount of hate for the men in the documentary series who are not only doing what she's been proven to do, but even worse. I understand that there's this murder mystery that's hanging in the balance about where her ex-husband went. And believe me, I've subscribed to that too. Like I've definitely done my Googling and my researching about how Carol Baskin's second husband disappeared into thin air overnight. However, I'm not sure the public condemnation for Carol Baskin matches the condemnation it does for her male counterparts in this series who are just as sketchy and just as dodgy. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of good thought and commentary around about how Joe Exotic had like the perfect personality for television and Carol Baskin didn't. Kathleen Walsh wrote for The Independent this week, make no mistake, Joe Exotic is a narcissist who did not care for the well-being of his animals, his employees, or even his husbands. What he does have is a perfect personality for television, brash and gleefully over the top, which is engrossing even in a documentary detailing his many abuses. I think this nails it for me. I think Joe Exotic was like the perfect character for television. I mean, he was depraved and had some really messed up ideas about the world and did some really messed up things, but he played it up for the cameras and he knew how to play it up for the cameras. Carol Baskin didn't. Like she didn't have a good personality for television. I don't think it translated well to television. And she was therefore probably easily manipulated and suffered a great, great cost because of that. I agree. One really simple explanation for this that Mitch did give me though, just to counter that argument, because I agree with you, but I think there's a few things going on here. 
I brought this to Mitch because Mitch and I watched this together. We've almost watched it through twice because we found that much joy and distraction out of Tiger King. And he said, yeah, I get it. Like I get that the attitude towards Carol Baskin is questionable, but you also need to keep in mind, Joe Exotic has been punished. People are seeing him in prison right now. And when people think Carol Baskin needs to be brought to justice, that's where the frustration comes from in that people think this woman is living a very wealthy, very comfortable existence and she's never been brought to justice. And that's where his issue with Carol Baskin lies. I get that. But I think if you've got that line of thought, then you probably need to make just as many jokes and find Doc Antle and Jeff Lowe just as in need of justice. And even though they may not be accused of murder, they are accused of some pretty depraved things too. And even though perhaps the allegations leveled at all of them may not actually sit on the same level, I still really do think it's worth unpacking why the vitriol is so much more extreme towards Carol than men. And I really do struggle to accept the fact that it's just this sort of like pursuit of justice as to why people are so angry at her and are making her the most evil character out of all of this. I would love for you guys to come and talk to us about your perspective on Tiger King. We did a poll in the group to find out how many of you have watched it. And it turns out the vast majority have either watched it or are very intrigued as to what the hell is going on. So please come into our Facebook thread, talk to us about this. What do you think? Where do you stand? And do you disagree with something we've said in this segment? Please come tell us. This is a space for disagreement, 100% and debate. So come talk to us. We are at Shameless Podcast Community. It started with Gal Gadot's Imagine video. It was compounded by Madonna sitting in a bath full of rose petals saying we are all in this together and exacerbated by Pharrell Williams asking his followers to donate to hospitals. Celebrity resentment is at an all-time high right now. In a world where everyone is in some form of lockdown, celebrities are trying their best to find ways to use their platforms to make it all just a little bit better. It's just that the thing is, at a time like this, their platform doesn't seem to matter anymore and their methods of trying to help seeming misguided at best. So what actually does celebrity culture mean in the depths of a pandemic and why do we find we hate celebrity culture now more than ever? Mish, talk to me about what you've been thinking around this this week. Right. So I think there is a lot of anger and resentment towards celebrities. That's definitely the mood I've picked up on on social media. And I think it falls into two different camps. I think some of the anger is warranted. In fact, the majority of anger is warranted. And I think there is a small pocket of anger that is probably misguided and unfair. I'll start with the misguided example I have first, and then we can talk about the warranted anger, I think. So one article that frustrated me no end this week was published in Jezebel. The headline was, Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard outed as landlords. And what Joan Summers wrote about was the fact that Kristen Bell and her husband, Dak Shepard, own a couple of apartment blocks and let those apartments out to renters and accrue some form of income from those renters. And one of the quotes that I really quite struggled with was, it should be easily agreed upon that accumulating rental profit from the wages of people likely making far, far less than you is, in italics, at best a tad questionable. Now... I don't know. It seems odd to me that 
two celebrities would be singled out for this, particularly when we take into account the fact that Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard waived rent for any and all of the properties that they own. They were the good guys in this scenario. Well, it definitely comes down to your politics. Like, I think if someone does fundamentally believe that we should live in a far more socialist world than capitalist right now, then they probably would see a problem with that. That said, I'm the same as you. I read this article and I just didn't really get it at the moment because I thought Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard have waived rent. I do think it speaks so much to how angry we are at celebrities that they're the ones we want to make example of about that, that they are the ones that we want to put as like the poster children of capitalism because they own apartment buildings. Like it was a lot of steps for me to get to and it just felt like way too much for me to understand. I understand if you are socialist, I understand why you don't agree with people being landlords. However, to single out Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard and say that you are outing them as landlords is so ridiculous. It's like saying, I don't know, Delta Goodrum outed as having brown hair. It's like, yeah, every celebrity is probably a landlord. That's how capitalism works. They're all wealthy and they've probably all invested in property to take aim at two celebrities who are not only one of many, but are also doing the right thing by their tenants is absolutely unreasonable to me right now. Yeah. And I think the relevant story would have been if they were shit landlords. And I think that says so much about the flaws of capitalism, if that was the case. But if they're at least being a tiny bit compassionate, then I don't understand why it's a story. I do think though, there are stories of anger towards celebrities that is incredibly warranted right now. Yeah, I agree. And the difference to me here is that Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard haven't gone out of their way and posted something about the virus that shall not be named in a really tone deaf or agitating way. They quietly went about their business, waived rent for their tenants. So any anger towards them seems misplaced and a little bit misguided. Where I do think the anger is justified is for the celebrities who have gone out of their ways to post utterly tone deaf things. And there have been a number of celebrities who have done that, who have just not read the room and not been anywhere near self-aware enough. One of the examples that I have is JLo's tweet that came about 10 days ago. So JLo was in her partner's mansion's backyard. It's such an absurd backyard. Like it is so crazy. It's so big. Like it looks like the nicest house I've ever seen. I've never been near a house like that in my life. So anyway, her child rolls in, and I say rolls in because he's on a literal Segway, holding a tray filled with like cocktails or something. And JLo's tweet read, and I quote, we can't go out to any restaurants or anything, but the service and entertainment here is pretty good. Smiley face, hashtag stay safe. Now the replies to this tweet really piqued my interest because I think they capture this resentment and this crumbling of celebrity culture really quite well. So the replies read, meanwhile, at the hospital, nurses are working 12 hours a day, six times a week while making one one thousandth of JLo's income. Another read, really, you should all feel ashamed showing wealth like that when I can't even get items needed due to people hoarding everything. And another read, California usually processes 2,000 unemployment applications a day. Today, they processed 80,000. What did you make of those? I thought they were really interesting, but not at all surprising. Like celebrity resentment seems to be at an all-time high. And I think that there are a lot of think pieces about it around now too, because everybody's starting to notice it. Amanda Hess wrote a really good one in the New York Times last week saying that celebrity culture was burning. And she said, this was my favorite line, stunts like Gal Gadot's crowdsourced famous person cover of John Lennon's Imagine are tone deaf in more ways than one. 
Most of these people cannot even sing. Their contribution suggests that the very appearance of a celebrity is a salve, as if a pandemic could be overcome by star power alone. And I thought that was really thoughtful, a really thoughtful way to look at it. Totally. And I absolutely adore that quote because it sums up the situation so well. Like you mentioned Madonna's Instagram post of her rose petal filled bathtub in the intro to the segment. And I really do think it's worth explaining exactly what this post was. I mean, it was a video of her in the fanciest bathtub I've seen, fanciest taps I've ever laid eyes on, her leaning up towards the camera while a soft piano plays in the background. And what she read out, I mean, it's now deleted. I'd love to put the audio here, but it's been deleted. But people transcribed it, thankfully, before it was. And what she said was, very sadly, by the way, that's the thing about COVID-19. It doesn't care how rich you are, how famous you are, how funny you are, how smart you are, where you live, how old you are, what amazing stories you can tell. It's the great equaliser. What's terrible about it is what's great about it. What's terrible about it is that it's made us all equal in many ways. And that misses the tone entirely because so many people don't feel like equals when they watch Madonna in her rose petal filled bath because they don't have access to the things that celebrities do. And for Madonna to even insinuate that she is on the same level as the millions of people who are now facing unemployment is borderline offensive. Actually, it is offensive. And the sense that COVID, or sorry, the virus that shall not be named, is the great equaliser is so absurd when famous people are getting tests at a stupid rate and whose arrogance, arguably, has spread this far wider than it needs to. Like, the poor will suffer because of the rich's decisions to travel and to not self-quarantine and to spread this far and wide. And it's made me think that a pandemic like this has kind of rendered celebrity useless. Like, it's not that celebrities can do no good in these scenarios. It's just that our patience isn't there. And I think it runs much deeper than jealousy or tall poppy. It feels like class warfare a little bit. Well, a little bit. I don't think they're rendered useless. I think if you are tone deaf and you get the messaging wrong, you will upset a lot of people. But I also think in a time like this, celebrities can be great unifiers and they can make us feel seen and heard. I just think so many of them are getting it wrong because they're so blind to their own privilege. I find it really interesting that so many celebrities, like the ones you've listed already, Zara, are sitting in their major houses talking about how cramped up they feel in self-isolation and how it's so difficult not to leave the house when the space of their living room is the size of my entire apartment. Like that dichotomy is so important and so many people are just completely missing it. And I think it's also really important here to discuss the fact that we're not criticizing people for having money. Like I believe in capitalism. So I don't think we should shame people for accruing money and accruing property because that's how the Western world works. However, as people who have built careers and incomes off the back of our support, our viewership, our following them, they should make efforts to put out content that isn't totally demoralizing and tone deaf. Like taking a selfie in your very fancy, very expensive kitchen, telling us how horrible this is for you does nothing to connect anyone. Well, it's a self-awareness thing. And I think that's what it comes down to. A lot of these people are lacking self-awareness. That said, there are some great examples. Florence Pugh, Miguel is doing some great just cooking videos in her kitchen with like no makeup on and very homely outfits and couldn't look less pretentious if she tried. And I think stuff like that is uniting because it gives people entertainment. 
I think though, the reason that we're focusing on celebrities when I think there are so many people out there that actually have more money than celebrities is an interesting one. In the Amanda Hess piece for the New York Times, she said, celebrities are not among the very wealthiest Americans. Lopez's reported net worth is a fraction of a percent of Jeff Bezos's, but they are the ones who are tasked with liaising with the general public, offering vicarious access to their lifestyles. They are kind of the mouthpiece for wealth at the moment and whether that's a good or bad thing and whether they like it or not. They are the mouthpiece. And I think that's why celebrity culture is being targeted more than rich people generally. Absolutely. I also want to include my favorite quote from a story I read in the New York Times. The title was, what role should celebrities have during the coronavirus crisis? That is from Jeremy Engel. And I loved this passage from him. The famous are ambassadors of the meritocracy. They represent the American pursuit of wealth through talent, charm, and hard work. But the dream of class mobility dissipates when society locks down, the economy stalls, the death count mounts, and everyone's future is frozen inside their own crowded apartment or palatial mansion. The difference between the two has never been more obvious. I wanted to finish, Mish, with a quote from Awa Madawi from The Guardian. She is one of my favorite writers from The Guardian, and she wrote this brilliant story called The Coronavirus Has Exposed the Ugly Truth About Celebrity Culture. And she said, celebrity culture and capitalism are inextricably entwined. Both elevate the individual over the collective good. They rely on the lie of meritocracy, work hard and you can achieve whatever you want. But it has become uncomfortably clear how little we value our hardest workers, the healthcare professionals, the supermarket staff, bus drivers and delivery drivers who are keeping the world running while the rich run to their second homes. And it has never been so clear how little the people who earn the most contribute to society. We're all in this together. The rich and famous keep telling us, sorry, but it is obvious that we are not. (laughs) Pretty biting way to finish, huh? I think it is. And I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shameless. I love finishing on a banger quote like that, Zara. I know. You're so welcome. I mean, I didn't write it, but I did quote (laughs) it. I did read it aloud. Thank you, as Mish said, so much for listening. We are so appreciating all your support as we get our heads around functioning and working remotely like this. I think today was a little easier than last week. I mean, I'm very uplifted by my green screen. I hope you bring your own aid game next week i am gonna bring my own air game next week i just don't know what the hell to do <laughs> also we didn't swear that much i might have let a few f-bombs go accidentally but old mate annabelle lee our producer is gonna have to beep those out in the meantime guys as we said we will be back in your ears on thursday with our in isolation series that we are so excited to start dropping but before then you will catch us on instagram at shameless podcast show us how you're listening if you're getting some fresh air going for a walk doing your one piece of exercise a day show us how you're listening this week because it's very different to the usual commute absolutely we are an independent podcast so we thrive off your support as listeners and we are so so grateful for it stay safe stay inside look out for your loved ones and we'll be back in your ears on thursday with the first in isolation episode see you then bye Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to... To our show, please do head to your favorite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.